Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Who hath given me counsel. He said, my reins also instruct me in the night seasons. The great psalmist David admitted something just within that one verse, the fact that there are and will be night seasons. And it's difficult to navigate the night without some aid, without something to help. Uh, In the day, everything's made more clear. The obstacles are foreseen. You can see where they are, where they're coming. But at night, you don't know where they're at. You don't know where they are until you've already come upon them. Amen. A lot more caution is necessary at night than what it is during the day. Carelessness is not an attitude that you can afford during the night. But David had also told the Lord, he said, Lord, for thou hast possessed my reins. And so when he said, my reins instruct me in the night season, if he had given his reins to the Lord, then he's saying, God, you have instructed me in the night seasons of my life. Amen. Aren't you thankful that our God, the old song used to say, Mountain Valley, I would like to add to that, he's a God of the day and he is the God of the night. He can instruct me through my reins, even in the night seasons, help guide me what is unforeseen that I cannot even detect at this moment in time. That's the type of God that I serve this evening. Amen. If you'll stand with me, Sister McGee, I want to add a few verses of Scripture to my opening text tonight. If you'll get for me, 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter number 16 and verse, actually 2 Samuel chapter number 15 and verse 16. 2 Samuel 15 and verse 16. Just add it to the queue there. And in addition to that, if you could add 2 Samuel 16, 2 Samuel 16, verses 21 and 22, just give us a little bit more to go off of here than just that one verse of Scripture I had originally submitted. Amen for a text tonight. Hallelujah. Amen, 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 amen. Spare with me here get everything in order and then we might be able to preach something amen if it's God's will and his purpose I would preach that but we might suffer just a little bit (laughs) amen hallelujah starting if you will then with 2nd Samuel if my wife has helped me out 2nd Samuel chapter 15 and verse 16 the Bible states these words and it's speaking of David when it speaks of the king and the king went forth and all his household after him the king left ten women which were concubines to keep the house second Samuel 16 and verse 21 and Ahithopal said unto Absalom go into thy father's concubines which ye have left to keep the house and all Israel shall hear that thou art abhor to thy father then shall the hands of all that are with thee be strong so they spread Absalom a tent upon the top of the house and Absalom went in unto his father's concubines in sight of all 
Israel. Second Samuel chapter number 20, verse number three. I promise you this is my last verse for my text here this evening. The Bible says, and David came to his house at Jerusalem. The king took the ten women, his concubines, whom he had left to keep the house, and put them in ward, and fed them, but went not in unto them. So they were shut up unto the day of their death, living in widowhood. Now tonight, for my title, I do not want you to think that I am morbid or I'm inconsiderate. But I can do this because it's my own family that suffered a loss, okay? But I want to preach just a little while this subject matter, reserved for death. Reserved for death. I know my mother has no problems with me doing this tonight. I'm just preaching the word. Reserved for death. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I come to you right now. I'm asking, oh God, for your blessing. I'm asking, oh God, for your anointing. I pray, oh Lord, through some manner or way, help me, Lord, to convey what I felt the Spirit has laid upon my heart this evening. God, to convey to this people. I pray, Jesus, this is the last service that we'll have in this year, God, before a new year dawns. I pray, oh God, today, let my words, Lord, be acceptable, Lord, in your sight. I pray, God, that I've made proper preparation, Lord Jesus, too. God, share them this evening. Let there be a principle, a concept, an idea, God, that we can latch on to here this evening. God, that we'll be made better people. God, a better church. God, buy it, and I'll thank you, and I'll praise you, Lord, for what you do and accomplish in this place. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated this evening the lovely name of the lord reserved reserved for death second samuel 20 and i wanted to give you just a little bit of where this scripture is in the placement of things what led up to it to give you a better grounding for what i'm about ready to speak about here this evening but in second samuel 20 and verse 3 david is returning to jerusalem after having left for a time as a fugitive from his very own son, Absalom. Absalom, through his cunningness, had won the hearts of Israel by the city gates as he gave ear to every man, woman, or group of people that came to the gates of the city. He gave ear to their controversies that they had and as is the case with almost every controversy that I know of, that is each individual party believe they're right in their own respect. They believe they're right. And so Absalom is giving ear to their controversies and he is doing the thing that in his cunningness he would win their hearts and that is he's assuring them of their position in their side of the controversy. He's assuring them that what matters to them matters, that they are right and that they are correct. And so in doing so, he wins there is doing just that at the city gates. He is intercepting the controversies from reaching his father David. And he is wooing the hearts of the people by the way that he handles their controversies. 
And so David learning that Absalom is garnering a following and he's garnering the respect of the people understanding that he had sent spies out to herald Absalom's kingship, false kingship, pseudo kingship. Upon hearing this, David is in fear of his own life and in fear of the life of those that is in his household. And so he understands because of Absalom's persuasion of the people that the people are growing strong and they're increasing by the numbers and they are thinking very well of Absalom although he has ulterior motives that are in his plan. But David not, not wishing to stand there and fight with the possibility of ruining the lives of many that's under his kingship. He would rather leave things intact as they are and leave with confidence and leave with everything still in place and just count his losses as it were. And so he left his place. He left the city of David, the city of Jerusalem. The Bible states that he went into a far place and he takes his household directly under his care with him. However, the Bible says that before David left along with his household, that he left some behind. He left 10 concubines, 10 women to keep the house or keep the palace that David resided in. Now, the idea, whenever we talk about concubines, and this is kind of a weird subject matter, amen, for Bible or for Scripture, really, but the idea of concubines is a very weird sort in Scripture. Throughout the Old Testament, they are neither sanctioned nor are they reproved of having. Obviously, it seems like at different times throughout the Old Testament writ that they are permitted, but we don't ever see anything necessarily sanctioning them or reproving them. They were just kind of there. As time progresses throughout the scripture, and we're not getting to a deep study here on concubines, but as time progresses through scripture, their allowance in the lives of the Jews begins to be more limited. Whenever Christianity comes about with the birth of the New Testament church in Acts chapter number two and the writing of all the epistles that Paul writes to the churches that he established, New Testament scripture prohibits them altogether. We, they have no place in the family. They have no place or a row. But there was an era that was reached in Old Testament times where it seemed like concubines were acceptable. And that increased to a place where they were only acceptable for kings, but not Israel's king. Can someone say amen? Because among the guidelines for the king of Israel that we find in Deuteronomy 17, the Bible speaks of among several things that the king should not do or that he was allowed to do, but some of the qualifiers and the criteria of the king that would be the king of Israel is that he should be one of your brethren. He should not be a stranger. You don't want a stranger ruling over you, but he should be one of your brethren that you have lifted up and exalted as king over you. The law said that the king should not multiply horses to himself. It stated that a king should not return to Egypt. God brought you away from that place and you by no means should have a ruler that would desire to take you back. That you should not, a king should not multiply silver or gold. But also among that list or that criteria was is that the king of Israel should not multiply to himself wives. 
And this law that was spoken to the children of Israel was something that the king was supposed to make a copy of. Have a scribe, a copy, if you will, not the Xerox, but the scribe. Copy this, and the king was to have it always with him, always available to him, that he could reacquaint himself over and over again with what he should do, his qualifiers, his, his criteria. And so we understand tonight, David being the king of Israel, taken to himself, not only wise, but also concubines. It was wrong for David to have concubines. A concubine was nothing more but a female slave who functioned as a secondary wife, a surrogate mother. As a matter of fact, there was enough connection between a concubine, between her and the one that she belonged to, that the man that owned the concubine was called the concubine's husband. There was enough connection there that he was referred to as her husband. And while concubines did not have the same status as wives, they were not to be mistreated, the Old Testament law said. Nor could they be violated by other men with no liability. They seemed to have received a higher status if they were a concubine that bore sons to this person who owned them. As a matter of fact, many throughout Old Testament scripture, concubines, as it were, or maidservants, we know their names because they brought great honor to their owner by bearing male sons. And it's those that bore sons that we know their names, not just their status, but we know their names because it was a great honor for them to bear sons unto their owners. They were favored because they could reproduce but only reproduce after their kind. Genesis tells us that everything in the world, whether it be cattle, whether it be fowl, whatever it may be, anything only can reproduce after its kind. And so if you have the coming together of a purebred Israelite and a concubine from another land and another country, the only thing that can be reproduced of them is something that's after their kind. It will not be purely, be purely Israelite and it will not be purely pagan, but it will be a compromise of the two. It is only a reproducing after its kind. Also, I learned that they were another means outside of the marriage union that a male could satisfy his desires. Everybody say his desires. His desires. And so during David's absence of being away from Jerusalem for fear of his own son, what happened, what took place during that time in his absence had already been prophesied by the prophet Nathan. Amen. Had already been prophesied by that prophet that had met David whenever David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And he's met by the prophet Nathan. And in so many words, in so many times, Nathan basically told David, he said, David, what has been done in these past days of your adultery with Bathsheba, a similar thing is going to happen in your household. But it's not going to take place privately. It's going to be openly. And the Bible tells us that we read in 2 Samuel 17. Everybody say amen. In 2 Samuel 17, that Absalom, Haman came unto his father's house and through the coaxing of his counselor, amen, he laid with these 10 concubines of his father on the housetop for all Israel to see, not in private, but displayed in the public. 
and impart in doing so customarily for their season and time of life that was viewed as a claim to the throne. Absalom was just driving another stake trying to proclaim himself to be the king. Amen. Claiming the throne room but it also fulfilled the words of Nathan. David, David, David whenever you are going to return to your home now and return to Jerusalem what are you going to do with a defiled harem? What are you going to do with a defiled ten concubines that's back at your house? Because David there's no way that you can go back Amen. To your house and go back to the way things used to be. You left David knowing very well, but what you left at home was not right. What you left at home had never been sanctioned by the hand of God. What you left back home the moment that you ever brought them into your family, it was not correct. It was wrong in the sight of God. You've been apart right now for fear of your life. You've been fleeing and you've had some time to consider and reconsider. You've had to place your trust back in the one that your trust should have been in all along. You had to place your desire back up on the one whom your desire should have been all along. And now that you go back home, you're not going to be able to go back to the way that things always have been. David, it was wrong for you to have the concubines in the first place as Israel's king. It was wrong, David, for you to satisfy the desires, amen, in your life outside your marital covenant. It was wrong. And the Bible says, though, he came home. If you'll look at me with 2 Samuel 20, one more time in verse 3. He came home to his house, and he put the concubines in ward, the Bible says, and fed them but went not in unto them. So they were shut up until the day of their death, living in widowhood. David has time away from home, time to think. He's been an exile from his own land, an exile from his own house, his own city. But in the process, it seems like something has altered in David because he's coming back home now Something has driven him back to the Lord. Something has increased his desire to please the Lord rather than please himself. When he goes back home, those ten concubines are not having the same status in his life as they once had in his life. He's going to put them in ward. He's going to put them under a guard almost as though it were in a prison house. He was going to feed them. Old Testament law told him you couldn't mistreat them. You still got to feed them. You still got to provide shelter for them. You still got to provide food for them. You still got to provide clothing for them. All this is found in Exodus 21. They couldn't be mistreated in that respect. You had to provide the clothing, provide the food, and provide the shelter. But David said there's one thing I'm going to do though. I'm going to deny them the right to me. I'm going to deny their right to any pleasure with me. I'm going to deny them access to me. I may still have to feed them. I may still have them in ward and shelter and I may clothe them but they're not going to have access to me like they formerly had access. They're going to be shut up, shackled if you will into the moment of their death. Someone say amen. The Bible states, and there was a conversation I had not long ago that brought these things back to mind. But the Bible states in Romans 8 and verse number 13, it says, for if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. 
But if ye through the Spirit do, everybody say mortify. Do mortify the deeds of the body. Ye shall live. Colossians 3 and verse 5 say, says mortify. Everybody say mortify. Mortify. Therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. Everybody say mortify. Mortify. The word mortify means to sub subjugate by abstinence or self-inflicted suffering. It means to subdue. It means to restrain. It means to bring under control by self-denial. Disciplinary exercise. It means to cause to die. It means to make dead or producing death. It means to cause something to die through denial. David says, I'm not allowed, amen, to kill it, if you will, in a moment by force. I still got to feed it, shelter it, and I still have to provide clothing for it. He said, but I'm going to keep it bound, and I'm going to keep it shackled, and I'm going to deny myself of its pleasure, and I'm going to deny myself of its gratification until it dies. It may be living around here, but I'm not going to give it the time of day. It may beckon and it may call, but I'm not going to answer the call, and I'm not going to answer the request. I'm going to mortify. There's more than one way to kill something. You can take a sword and punch somebody through and you can take their life. But there's other things. The only way sometimes they can die is through a process of constant denial, through process ignoring, through constant... Someone say amen. I once read of a missionary who had in his garden a shrub that bore poisonous leaves. And at that time, he had a child who was very prone to pull up anything and put it into his mouth, which is the nature of children. And so naturally, as a careful and cautious father, he dug the shrub up out and he threw it away. But the shrub's roots were very deep. And as a result of it, soon the shrub would sprout again. And so repeatedly, this missionary had to dig the shrub up and throw it away. There was no solution seemingly to the problem but just to inspect the ground every day and to dig the old shrub up one more time and cast it aside. Amen. I'm talking to us tonight. Brother McGee, do you know who you're talking to? Yeah, I'm talking to us tonight. Amen. That deal with weights and that deal with sins and that deal with things that try to creep up in our life that still linger around, that still call and beckon for our attention. Honey, you might not be able to pierce that thing through with a sword, but you can deny it every day, today and tomorrow and tomorrow. You can lock the doors and put the shackles on it and you can wait and outlive its life. I used to tell some pastors, and I know I'm a young pastor, but I used to tell some pastors that just recently taken a pastor, and this is no reflection of this congregation. I said, but there's some problems that you'll never be able to take care of. You just got to outlive. And let me tell you in a spiritual sense tonight, there's some problems, some things that crop up in your life. It seems like you can't get a hand on, but that's all right. Put it in ward under the guard. Amen. And you just deny it of yourself. And through continual denying, you'll outlive. Outlive that thing and it will die. 
Someone say mortify. By abstinence. Not that it's gone. But my half of the portion is gone. Someone say amen. It's still there. But it's in shackles. Just recently I've, I've read, and I'm just a reader, so if I, if I preface everything with that, you just know it. I read an article. They had went somewhere in, in France, and they have unearthed just a whole, whole uh, burial. It would be of, of thousands and thousands of people that they have discovered in southwest France, and they're investigating all of this, and, and they're looking at trying to de- decipher why they are all dead and why they are all congregated in this place dead and buried here. But in the, their time of perusing through the piles, a man of skeletons that are there, they came upon there were particularly five. There were five individuals or five skeletons, if you were, one of them even being a child, that were stuck in shackles, the report recalled. There were ch- iron chains around their ankles, and there was another one that had a shackle on its neck. The child apparently had a shackle that was upon its wrist. I'm here to tell you tonight, I'm not no archaeologist, but I'm not an idiot either. Those people didn't go in after the fact that those skeletons were there and dead and shackled something that was dead. I'm under the persuasion they shackled them while they were alive, and they kept them bound until they died. Do you hear what I'm saying tonight? There's some things in this life you just need to shackle it while it's living and just let life take care of life. If you keep denying it, if you keep ignoring it, if you keep turning the other way, it will eventually die and it'll be reserved for death. Someone say yes. There are two things that the New Testament writer was telling us in the scripture. He said you got to mortify your members. And then in Romans he says you got to mortify the deeds of the body. But let me share something tonight. If you get the members mortified, the deeds will take care of themselves. Amen. Mortify the deeds, yes. But if we could get to the very basis point of mortifying the members. Because to mortify is that you consider whatever that is as dead. It may still be alive, but to you, you consider it as though it's dead. Have you ever heard someone, they have family conflict, black sheep of the family, if someone say, you're dead to me. You know what they're saying? I don't know who you are. You forget about any money or inheritance or estate. You're dead to me. They're considering you, although you're living, as though you're dead. Honey, when some of these things lurk around in 2015 that you've dealt with for the past 15 years, come knocking at your door and it's trying to call your name, say, hey, wait a minute. I don't know who you are. I I believe you've already passed away a long time ago. I don't care how alive it may seem at the moment. You need to consider it as dead to you. Mortify your member. Someone that has some arm that is incapable, it's paralyzed, incapable of doing anything. They're not constantly trying to use that thing. No, no, no. It's dead to them. It's lying there. It's still part of their body, but it's no use to them. There's some things in our life in this coming year we need to consider it may have been a part of me, but it's no use to me anymore. It serves no purpose. There is no utility here. There- 
that's been reserved for death. You got to mortify is to reduce to the state of death. Reduction sometimes takes time. But you got to reduce that thing to a state of death. I guarantee you with food and clothing and shelter, those ten concubines in the ward were going to last for a while. But the preeminence that they had in David's life, he no longer allowed. They stayed there, the Bible says, until they died. Notice what the Bible says. It says that they lived in widowhood. They lived in widowhood, not because their companion died, but because they were dead to their companion. Do you get what I just said? They were in widowhood because their companion had died, but because they were dead, as it were, considered as dead to their companion. Oh, yes, some of those things that come crawling into my life, they're still alive. They're still alive. But I'm going to make them live the rest of their years in widowhood. Honey, I've dissolved the contract. I've ripped it up. I'm not memorializing the year and the time when we first came together. They're living in widowhood because as far as I'm concerned, they are dead. Someone say amen. Amen. There'll be the power of it there still calling. But you got to learn to mortify. You got to learn to reserve some things for death. They say that years ago there was a, in England there was a pickpocketer. I don't know that, you know, maybe that's an archaic term. But it was a pickpocketer that was convicted stealing course from somebody and as a result of it in England at that time they cut his right hand off sister Craig he was convicted the second time they cut his left hand off it was amputated so here is a pickpocketer that do not have two appendages they're very useful in his business profession yet the beckoning power of it was so strong that he was caught trying to pit pocket with his teeth. What are you saying, Pastor? It's not about everything you get rid of and everything you cut off and everything you sever. It's about mortifying. It's about being able to deny. It's about being able to say no. It's about being able to say not this time. It's about saying you got me before but not today. It's about mortifying. It's about taking those concubines and putting them in the room and letting them stay there till they die. Somebody hear me tonight. Beckett and call as you will, but we must learn to deny. This does not apply to me, Brother McGee. I'm wholly sanctified and I speak in tongues on even days. But the reality of all this really came home as the other night, last night it was, I asked my mom if I could have my grandpa's Bible to go through it page by page because if there are any person that wrote in their Bible, you can learn a lot about them just and so I started in Genesis and I went from Genesis to Revelation page 
by page. And I seen the writings and the circlings and the underwrite underlinings and I seen the times when he read certain passages and at what time in the morning 1:48 a.m. you know read the whole book of Philippians today and then his wife had did as well and put the initials up on the page and I came then to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number one in his Bible that was very very underscored and circled and very etched strongly upon it and it said wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And Brother Mason, that was enough because he had a lot of stuff underlined. But above this verse, my dear old grandpa had pinned these words. And I think it was just a very pure and honest man. He said, help me, dear very good he said love you help me dear God so I'm telling you tonight if the man that I stared in the eyes of just a few days ago whose face was sunken in stomach was sunken in did not have the ability to walk on his own or even scoot himself up in the bed wrote over a chapter about weight and sin that so easily beset him could scribe on the page help me dear God then this preacher behind this pulpit tonight needs to inscribe in my Bible help me dear God and the only way I'll have a success in this life is if I mortify the deeds and mortify the body and constantly deny the things that are vying for my attention in this earthly journey below I'm telling you right now, folks, if that old man that sometimes thought whenever you were joking you was getting a little too silly because he's mentioned it before, that you was getting a little too silly, amen, and tell you about it, then me, 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 I got to mortify this flesh. I got to mortify these deeds. I got to shut up the concubines. They still may be vying for me, but I believe what he taught me just through that is that every day you just got to say no. Every day you got to incorporate the word. Every day you got to lay things aside. You got to reserve some things for death. Right. <laughs> Someone say amen. amen. Remember, back at Romans 8, 13, he said, but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Let God's part be God's part, and you take responsibility for your part. If ye through the Spirit, God's part, do mortify the deeds of the body, my part, you mortify. God's part, he's helping me to deny. 
He's helping me to say no. We all know what it feels like. It's David going down to the ward where the ten concubines are, where he invested money in those ladies. And still is by food and shelter and such, rattling the knob on the door and feeling that unction from the Holy One say, David, I think you need to go back to the palace. It's, it's that spirit, God's part, that whenever we're about ready to open our mouth and we're about ready to feel real good about what we're going to say because it's in a heat of anger that the spirit comes by and says, you know what, maybe you just need to be still and not utter a word. That's God's part. And our part, turning away and not saying a word, that's us denying. That's us mortifying. It's... it's us that whenever every excuse under the sun is saying, you know what, you deserve to stay home tonight. You've had a rough week. It's been very hard. This has happened. That has happened. So many different things, you know, are going on. They'll understand. And let me tell you, I try not even fight with anybody anymore. If you want to miss church, that's between you and God. You got to answer to God. You don't have to answer to me. Amen. But you know what? It's whenever God comes down and says, you know what? This is where your strength is. You can find rest where the weary can rest if you can get to the church. Honey, you know what? I think we all need to go home tonight. We've had a loss. There's somebody that's died. The McGee family, let's exit right now. There's been a loss. No, no, no. There's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather. It tells me I got to get to the house of God. Amen. That spirit tells me that's where you need to be. And so I deny the divine attention that says stay home. And I go to God's house. stayed home tonight and talked about the death I'd rather come to church and let's talk about the living and please I hope you're not sitting here tonight thinking oh poor pastor he's been up there this morning tonight and he's lost his grandfather man I haven't lost him I know where he's at you only consider something lost if you don't know where it's at I know where he's at he's not lost so don't cry over me. I'm just here as a pastor and I saying, hey, let's put all things in order. Let's mortify some deeds. Let's mortify the flesh. Let's deny it. Let's deny it. Let's refrain it. Let's restrain it. And let's go on and be victorious as people of God. Listen, I won't hold you much longer. Got one more sermon in my <laughs> in my holster that we got to get totally put together. Trying to do the man justice. It's hard to do. Remember, when you speak of death, again, no, no disconcern for the family, my mother. But whenever you speak of death, you speak of separation. going to be a final moment on, on Tuesday. We're going to be sitting in a cemetery. Casket is going to be closed. We'll see his face no more. He's dead. There's going to be six feet of earth separating us from his natural body and a great gulf separating us from his spirit. Death speaks a separation by his spirit 
You need to mortify. Consider it as dead. David didn't keep the concubines in his bedroom. He put them in ward. Why? Because they're going to be considered as dead to me. He probably more than likely had some servants or other people take care of the food and the clothing aspects. Why? Because to him, they need to become much more faded in his mind's memory until the place he forgot he even had ten concubines shut up in a ward somewhere because they're dead and separate. I tell you what, it would be great in the house of God that some of us that have been entwined in sins of yesteryear gone by, that we live such a life of mortifying the deeds and mortifying the members that somewhere along the way, by some way, it just reminds us, hey, you know, I kind of forgot I ever was an alcoholic. I kind of forgot I ever was addicted to drugs. I kind of thought I ever had a lust problem. Why? Because I considered it as dead. I mortified it. I kind of forgot I ever used to act like that. Have you ever heard somebody talk about you and you're like, no, I never did that. And they're like, yes, you did. You know why? The reason why you feel that way? Because you mortified the body. You mortified the deeds. It is as dead to you. Separated. It's reserved for death. Amen. If you'll stand with me here this evening. David says, I can't go back and live the way that I used to live. I'm going to have to deny, deny some things that I used to allow to have a foothold in my life. I'm going to be in prison for life, they are. I'm going to put them in confinement. Some of the very things that I loved the most, now I'm going to detest the most. They're never going to have children by me. We're never going to reproduce after our kind. No, they're going to live their days in widowhood. I pray tonight that when the Lord comes, just as they discovered there in South France, that there's a lot of skeletons in your closet but they're shackled skeletons. Not incarceration that you placed on them after the fact, but before it ever happened. And that's just the way they stayed until they died. Reserved for death. If we bow our heads all across this building tonight, I have felt the Lord here today. And I feel this evening, just by perusing the Bible of my grandpa, that this, I know all scripture is profitable for all of us. But I believe this tonight, no matter how far or how long we have been removed and the concubines have been shut up, I believe tonight it's applicable for each and every one of us. We got to practice that life of self-denial over and over and over again if you've unlocked some of those things that have had dominion and domain in your life I'm challenging you this evening 
show them to the prison house, set a guard at the door, do whatever you got to do, but don't let them beckon to you and respond to their call. Just deny. Just deny. If you've learned their voice, unlearn their voice. If you've learned their way, then unlearn their way. How can I do it, Pastor? You got to learn to mortify. You got to learn to deny. Let it be as dead unto you. Separate it. Let it be as dead unto you. Come on, sir. Come on, ma'am. These altars are open. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.